This is Danielle Smith. This is Tammy Peterson. This is Alex Craner. This is Curtis Stone. This is Tom Luongo, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. How's everybody doing this fine Wednesday? Yeah, hump day here. And, uh, man, it has been a string of guests, and uh, we're not slowing down. So um, before we get to today's uh, guest, and I got a little thought here on Tucker Carlson tickets as well, so hold on here. But before we get there, Silver Gold Bowl, North America's premier precious metals dealer with state-of-the-art distribution centers in Calgary and Las Vegas. They ensure fast, fully insured, discreet shipping right to your doorstep. If you have not tried this and have never bought from Silver Gold Bowl, hold on, okay? One, silvergoldbull.ca if you if you uh if i guess if you've been buying then you don't need me to tell you that but essentially you order right off the website it delivers right to your doorstep it is slick um but we got a first time buyers promo coming so hold on if you have not bought yet hold on cuz i'm going to get you i'm going to get you hooked up here with a with a promo for uh, first time buyers so uh, i i've been talking a bit about this and uh if you're just tuning in um yes we we we've got a couple things coming down the pipe just working it out. Now, for everything Silver Gold Bowl, go down in the show notes. Uh, we got an, uh, a, a Sean Newman podcast uh, email with them. We got a phone number. We can get you hooked up. Talk to Mr. Graham if you got questions you want answered. Uh, go there, okay? Uh, Caleb Taves, Renegade Acres. Um, we're talking about uh, something cool for uh, the, the, the community here. And that is um, Tucker Carlson. Last day giveaway is today. So if you want to get entered for those tickets, go to Substack, become a pledge, subscribe and pledge. It literally costs you nothing. You are going to have to sign up. I'm not, I'm not going to lie there. You are going to have to sign up. But uh, right now we're just collecting pledges for in the future when we can click. Yeah. Hey, we want to do this. And then yes, you will get charged. It works out to like 31 cents a podcast. It's, um, I don't know. I don't know what reasonable is anymore. I don't want to sound, you know, like the government says it's only nine cents. It's only nine cents. So 31 cents, I get it. I Actually, I really get it. I don't want to sound like the government. Nine cents, you know? It's only nine cents. Yeah, little bastards. Anyways, that's just a Wednesday thought for you. Uh, but we have Tucker Carlson tickets uh, getting drawn today. I'm sidetracked right now. Getting drawn today. Government always does that. Um, getting drawn today. Substack tickets getting drawn uh, on one in 20 chance. That's roughly what you get if you uh, sign up and become a pledge on Substack. And today's the last day. No, there's no more. Hey, we got a couple extra. Uh, I, there's no more of that. So this is your last chance on the Sean Newman podcast. We hope to see you there. Um, Deer and Steer Butchery, fast-growing, custom-cutting, and wrapping butchery located near Lloydminster. They focus on high-quality, locally-sourced meats with unparalleled customer service. We're proud to be from this community and are currently seeking a dedicated and experienced butcher to join, not just as an employee, but as a partner. So if you're looking for an opportunity to get out of, you know, get out of the shackles of being an employee, hey, I'm not saying there aren't some companies out there you want to work for. There certainly are. But if maybe you're not having the greatest go, maybe you are a butcher and you're looking for a change of scenery, give them a call, 780-870-8700. Erickson Agro Incorporated, uh, that's Irma, Alberta, Kentosh, Erickson, family farm raising four kids, growing food for their community and uh, our country. Man, we need more of those every single day, don't we? People growing food for the country. Tip of the cap to you. Now, 
I tell you what, if you haven't been playing on a side, you know, uh, Kent and Tasha's son lives with us, Blair. And uh, tip of the cap to that kid gets uh, t- two cool stories. One, he gets uh, picked up for the All-Star game, which is going to be in Detroit. This 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 JPHL, I'm like, you know, like it's, you know, I, I grew up going to like Fort Mac and Fort St. John and Grand Prairie. And to all the listeners from there, I got nothing against you. You probably think the same thing of Lloyd Minster. But I think we all can agree. When we got selected to the All-Star game, we were going to like, I don't know, Sherwood Park. These kids are going to Detroit. So anyways, best of luck to him because that's pretty pretty freaking cool. And uh, two, while we're in the States, uh, you know, I thought this was a really cool story. You know, everybody says, ah, kids these days, blah, 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 blah. We're in the States. And by all accounts, Blair is a pretty quiet kid. And, um, you know, we talk. It's not like we don't talk. But uh, we're in the States, and I get a phone call. And it's like, I don't know, I'm still in bed. 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And, um, yes, I was getting a, a, a sleep in from the wife. Thanks, Mel. Uh, she was up with the kids that morning. Anyways, I look over, and it's, it's Blair calling. I'm like, oh, my God. House is on fire. Uh, we froze up. I'm, I'm just like, I'm rolling through all the terrible things that could be coming from a call from Blair. And uh, here he goes, hey, I was just wondering if I could have some uh, guys over the house tonight to watch the Oilers game. I'm like, uh, <laughs> how the heck would I have known anyways? Right? But I'm like. Hats off to the Erickson family for raising a kid who, when their billet family is in a different country, he still calls to make sure it's okay to have people over to watch an Oiler game. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And here's one other fun story, um, switching away from the Erickson family. Uh, We had our hot water tank go. And I normally don't uh, talk about tradesmen, but uh, seeing as, as uh, you know, Guardian is a, a sponsor of the podcast, and I went and told him this, because, like, I've had different people, different tradesmen come through the house and, and everything else. It was a busy day. I can't remember if I had, like, one or two podcasts that day, and I'm sorry, right now, this intro of the podcast before we get to uh, our, our guest today uh, is is going. Sorry, you're getting, a, you're getting a little bit of a, I don't know, do I do monologues, folks? Not really. But this is a cool story. So I've had different people through the house, and, you know, they've been good. Some have been bad. Some have really pissed me off. And uh, I was dealing with Ozzy, so shout out to Ozzy. Ozzy comes over, looks at the hot water tank. You know, I'm I'm cheap Sean. I'm like, you know, uh, can we just get it back up and running? It's been a day and a half. We've had no hot water. And he's doing his thing, you know. Uh, shout out to the to the Guardian boys because they're, you know, they, they're, they're trying to convince me, but they're not going to force me. That probably a new hot water tank is the way to go. This thing's probably twenty years old, and I'm going. Nah, just put the fix. No, anyways, they took some pictures of the bottom of the the bottom of the hot water tank, and he was showing me. And I'm like, well, that don't look good. I'm like, what does that look like to you? And he's like, well, I, I'm not going to. He's always, you know, we're going back and forth. And by the end of it, uh, all right, let's get a new hot water tank. You know, the last thing I need is that, you know, while I'm gone, you know, Blair having to call me and be like the basement's flooded or some silly thing. So I'm just like, but I can't be around here. I can't do this. I I need it today. Man, and I don't know how old Ozzy was, but he was a younger man. I, I don't know if that's like, is that early 20s? Is that late 20s? Is that early 30s? No, it can't be early 30s. I don't think it could be early 30s. Maybe it is. Hey, maybe he was. Regardless, he um, 
he got he got he won me over to the point I went from okay give me like the what is it three hundred dollar fix to okay we're going to new tank to signing me up for uh, their I don't I don't I don't know what it's called and Guardian's gonna be yelling at the radio right now but uh, essentially um, you sign on to their uh, I don't I don't even know what it is I, but Blair and, and Joey I should I should have called <sighs> dang it. I, now now my monologue, you know, you're like, just get to the podcast. I was very impressed with Guardian Plumbing and Heating. That's what I'm trying to say. Ozzy, my hat's off to you. I spoke to your bosses already because I was just like, you know what? There's a young guy who is, is going. You know, I sing St. Louis's Jack's praises all the time. And um, I just really enjoyed what he did in the house. He took care of it all himself, installed the new hot water heater. I'm like, you know, not that a hot water heater is 10,000 pounds. I'm like, dude, do you need me around here so you don't, like, kill yourself going up downstairs? Anything, removed it, got it back working all in a day's time, which I know isn't like, it isn't like he rewired the entire house. I get it. I was just thoroughly impressed, and um, I thought I better give a shout-out on here to to the good, because all you hear on here is the most, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, this is going to hurt. You know, this is going to hurt. There's lots of bad things going on. And uh, there's a lot of good people out there, lots of good people. And um, and I just thought, hey, at nine minutes as I keep blabbering on here, I really, really enjoyed it. Signed up for, uh, he sold me on it. I got a discount on the, the hot water tank. Signed up for their monthly little plan, and they're going to come and inspect the, the furnace. And I'm, I'm like, actually, that's probably a good, great idea. You know, like, I, I don't, since I've lived in the house, I don't know if I had anyone inspect the furnace. Last thing, when it's like minus 40 out, do I need the furnace going down? Dear me. Anyways, let's go. That's what I got for you today. Happy Wednesday. How's everybody doing? As you can tell, I'm fired up. I'm having a good week. So, let's get on to that tail of the tape, shall we? He's an engineer for 40 plus years, one of the four commissioners on the National Citizens Inquiry, and the founder of Manitoba Stronger Together. I'm talking about Ken Drysdale. So, buckle up. Here we go. So welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Uh, to the listener, um, I just had Ken do the intro to the podcast, which, you know, as listeners now know, uh, every next month, right? So if this airs in January, which it will, um, then in February, there's a good chance you're, you'll be introducing the podcast, right? Uh, a group of you. And it's kind of like, hey, if you miss the podcast for a month, which can happen, this is kind of some of the stars we've had on uh, uh, the previous month. And then Sean went and deleted that entire file. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say the entire file, a huge chunk of it. And so I'm like, oh my God, now I got to go back and try and grab all these names and get everybody to redo it. Except for when you're in studio and whoever comes in studio, man, it just sounds so much better than if you do it to a computer monitor. Oh yeah, absolutely right. Man, you've come a long way. Uh, I appreciate you uh, you doing this, uh, coming in for, for for the kids' sake meeting. Uh, and then, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, all the way from Manitoba in the middle of winter. Not that it's that far, but it's not that close either. So, um, thanks for doing this. Well, you know, it, it's not a big problem. We have a lot of relatives here. My wife grew up in Barhead. Um, the, the most harrowing part of the trip was the drive from our place, from my home to Winnipeg, which is about an hour and the roads were just, <laughs> my goodness, there were, it, there was a couple of times when I thought we were going in the ditch. It was just not that it was blowing, but the roads were glare ice coming all the way into Winnipeg. You know, what's funny about that is when we, um, so 2006, I biked across Canada with uh, one of my brothers, 
Dustin, and then a, a friend, Lori. And the worst highways, bar none, because of the shoulders, was Manitoba. Oh, it was yeah. just like, we had the cops called on us there. It was just like, this is this is something else. Like, yeah. this, you know, like uh, the, uh, <laughs> the cops showed up and we were just pedaling along on bikes, you know, on some like secondary highway. And uh, cop was very friendly. And we were kind of shocked that we had the cops called on us. But they're like, could you just pull off every once in a while? Because... You're pulling back vehicles. They can't get around you. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. This is this is something. That was Manitoba. That's my memory of it. Well, you know what? We do. We have terrible highways. It's interesting. You cross the border into Saskatchewan, and it's an incredible difference. Or you cross the, the border into North Dakota, and it's a big difference. Now, Ontario, not so much. <laughs> the roads uh, in northwestern Ontario aren't great. Northwest Ontario. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I played hockey in Dryden for three years. Oh, did you? Yeah, so I, I um, well, what was it? Once a week, I would say, you would drive by the Walmart, which was right on the, the major highway, and it'd be full of semis, semis backed up everywhere, and there would have been a, you know, a rollover somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like the Tim Hortons on the other, it was Walmart on one side, Tim Hortons on the other. The Tim Hortons would be j- jarred with truckers, and the other side would be jarred with all the semis. And you'd be like, oh, there's been an accident. And uh, I think dad used to call it, because dad used to truck full-time across Canada. He used to call it the most dangerous part of highway in all of Canada was between Kenora and Dryden. Like that stretches, you know, in the, in the summertime, it's it's whatever. You know, there's lots of wildlife. But in the wintertime, like it is pretty treacherous. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up for two reasons. First, I designed the Dryden Arena, hockey arena. Did you really? Back in... What? Oh, it would have been in the early 90s, that big addition that they put on. And then secondly, last year, uh, my wife and I had to do a road trip to Windsor, Ontario. We got just past Dryden, and we had a terrible car accident. Like, it was storming. We couldn't fly because of the mandates and the lockdowns. So we drove, and we just got past Dryden, and we had an accident, totaled our, our vehicle. And I don't know, honestly, why we're alive. We... We sp- uh, spun out in a snowstorm in a, in a sn- by, because a snowplow drove us off the road. We spun across the road, hit the guardrail, spun back across the road, hit the other guardrail, and then only got T-boned by a truck, like a pickup truck, where there was a line of semi-trailers behind the snowplow, and I don't know how we somehow slid through them twice without getting killed. So that was a mandate story. We we I don't know how we didn't how we made it through that to be honest with you hand of god i guess i mean it was it it turned out kind of funny because you know we were opp came and they drove us from dryden to an hour outside a few minutes outside dryden all the way to um, uh, thunder bay and um, we didn't have a car we there was no buses couldn't get on an airplane couldn't get on there was no train or anything so we walked into the dealership there and bought a new car on the spot (laughs) When was this? This was um, last uh, April, and we left Winnipeg. It was great weather, and then we got hit a snowstorm and just out, just past uh, the uh, border with Ontario and Manitoba. Forgive me. Uh, at that point, you couldn't fly. Yeah, well, it was the man lockdown. The man, the mandates yeah. were still there. Yeah. Gee, Louise, you know, you, you think of. Uh, Man, that seems like such a long time ago, but yeah. it, but it's really not. You know what you were saying last year? I'm going, wait a second, was the mandate still on then or not? Right? Like, that, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I, I know that. Yeah. But at the same time, now when you say it's a mandate, <laughs> st- 
story, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. Because there's people from this community who have driven all the way across Canada because they can fly. Yeah. I mean, that's not an unusual story, I guess. No, it's not. And and there were. I mean, I, 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 I if you ask me who they were, I, I, I had discussions with people who had significant accidents. And I, and I think actually Brian Peckford brought it up at one time when he was uh, advancing his lawsuit against the government with regard to the mandates in that they, they the, the ma- uh, travel restriction, travel in Canada under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is handled differently than most of the other rights, you know, your rights, free speech and assembly and all that. There's a limitation put on those other rights, but they somehow or other they missed a limitation on transportation rights. So that was the basis of Brian uh, uh, Brian's uh, Peckford's uh, uh, legal action against the government, right? And of course, it never did get its day in court because the judge ruled it mute, uh, moot when the uh, when the government suspended those mandates. But there was, I believe, I heard Brian talking about how many accidents and how many people were killed on the highways because you just have to go. You know, when someone's sick or someone's ailing, or perhaps someone, in our case, my wife's uncle was dying, and we had to go and say, you know, had to... Last respects, yeah. Absolutely, I mean. So, you know, I would like to know how many people were affected by that or killed by that. Well, you wonder, could, could you look into motor vehicle accidents year over year and see if they went up or down? Well, you certainly could, but you know the the government and uh, is is ignoring a lot of research similar to <laughs> you that. You don't say. Yeah, which has to do with all cause mortality. I mean, I'm guessing a lot of your viewers have, know about a fellow by the name of Dene Rancourt. Well, Dene Rancourt yeah. is the is the the guy right before you on the podcast. So I just oh. sat with him. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, so we had a wonderful chat for about yeah. two hours. It was, um, yeah, He I, and and people certainly know who he is. Yeah, I mean, he testified three times at the NCI, and people might say, well, why did he testify three times? Well, the first time he testified was in English, and there were no Canadian statistics out yet. There were world statistics out, but Statistics Canada hadn't submitted their statistics yet. So then he came and testified in Quebec City because, of course, he speaks French, and he pretty much did the same thing. But in September, after the formal hearings were done, he came in and he testified virtually to the NCI Commission, the National Citizens Inquiry Commission, about the Canadian statistics, which had just come out in September, behind almost everyone else in the world. So that's why we had him out, and his, uh, you've already had him on, so you know that the statistics and the analyses he did on all-cause death would be similar to what we're talking about with regard to taking a look at automobile accidents during that schedule of time. But if they can ignore him, and it's not just him saying this. Yeah. You know, I watched a, um, a, 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 an item the other day, and I can't remember who the expert was. They were talking about they're estimating 17 million people across in the planet who have died because of the vaccines. Now that well, that comes from that comes from uh, Danae, does it not? Well, th- there's other people who have done some research. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, th- I mean, I, I, uh, I was telling, I was telling them today. You know, uh, I mean, I was, I was, I was just saying to them, like, you know, it was Regina Watiel who, when she came on and started talking about the statistics of it and how, like, from day one, it just didn't make sense. I'm yeah. Like, oh man. It's like shattering my earth or shattering my world all over again two years later, you know? Like, because, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, it's funny. I, I, I meant to look this up. Um, 
because it's been a while. I was trying to get you on when when you were doing the NCI or close to the end of it, and we just couldn't make our schedules work. Um, but you know, like for a while there, I kind of held on to maybe. Yeah, how the heck did anybody know right from the get-go? And now you talk to enough of these folks who are in positions or have expertise that most don't have. Yes. And you listen to them talk, and you're like, holy crap, like how big of a bamboozlement this has been on an entire population. Yeah, and they knew that from the get-go, by the way, because um, as you know, the first my first foray into this was I wrote an investigative report. 89, the Drysdale the, paper. The, the Drysdale 89-page report, which, by the way, has been copied about two and a half million times. And someone said to me the other day about, you know, the, 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 you, you must be smart you pulled that thing there. And it's, that's not true because I said, obviously, if I was smart, I would have charged a dollar a piece for those things and I would be somewhere else instead of in 30 degree below Edmonton right now. <laughs> so, you know... But my first foray into it was just looking at the the numbers that Statistics Canada had released about mortalities, uh, all-cause all mortalities, and the mortalities that the government was attributing to COVID. So I didn't debate whether or not it was died with COVID or whether the tests were correct or anything. I just took their numbers. And so, and I put that in plain English language, you know, it, it, I wasn't talking about mean deviations and all these statistical things. I was saying your odds are, you know, if you were 19 years of age of younger in Canada in 2020 when the pandemic supposedly first hit, your your odds of dying from a, a one in four million of COVID, but your odds of dying just for any other reason was I think one in 3,000 or something. or one. In, it's in the report and I don't quite remember the numbers, but that's how ridiculous it was. And then in the NCI, the National Citizens Inquiry, where we got um, testimony from all kinds of witnesses, particularly about what happened when the government had declared the pandemic. And maybe your listeners don't know this, but I believe it was March 14th, 2020, when the government of Canada announced the pandemic and the lockdowns. Well, one person in Canada, an 82-year-old man, supposedly died of COVID at that point. One person, an 82-year-old man out of 38 or 40 million people, and they had apparently had 1,200, I think it was, something like that, cases of COVID in a population of somewhere around 40 million. So, oh, sorry, there's one more point to that. In During January, February leading up to that, the government had detailed statistics about who, what population group was being affected by COVID. And so they absolutely knew in March when they declared the emergency, that it was people over the age of 80 that were, that were being affected the worst for this. So why did we lock down our entire company, close down businesses, bankrupt things, kill people? And we can talk about that. We can talk about Sheila Lewis. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I apologize to the family. There was another young man in, in uh, Ontario that was murdered by them. And I use that word purposely. But you know, they knew they knew in January, February, and March of 2020 that this thing was bogus. And if you look at the numbers, there's no way with one death, supposed death, that they should have locked down the country. For the listener, um, I was trying to recall when you were last on. And so that's why I got my phone. I don't like to pull out my phone very often, <laughs> right? Like, what a terrible thing to do in a conversation. Episode 362, you were back December 3rd, uh, 20. Uh, no, sorry, um, 
December 26, 2022. And then it was in the top 10. It was number 10 of that of the year, December to December. Uh, number 10 was Robert Malone followed by number nine and you were number nine episode on the, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, if people want to hear in detail, the 89 page report, like more into it, that was the first time I ever heard, had you on and, yep. you know, and, and everything else, there's been so much happening a year, you know, and, and certainly I want to get into all that, but I got something cool for you. This is something, something new to the podcast. Cause I've been trying to figure out, uh, along with, a. a one of the sponsors on um, what the heck we do for somebody who, you know, travels all the way to little old Lloyd Minster <laughs> to do a podcast, you know, and you're like, what on earth is going on in Lloyd Minster? And it's like, oh, there's a little podcast there. So I'll be first to say, you know, it, it doesn't cover a plane ticket and an <laughs> automobile and everything else. But first, you know, I, I got a little bit of, a little bit of swag for you. I got, oh, I got, uh, I got a hat, and then I took a guess, folks. I was just like, well, how tall is he? I'm like, I'm going to guess a double XL. So uh, we do a show on Tuesdays, uh, the Tuesday mashup. So I gave you a mashup, and, and once upon a time when there was no swearing on an episode, uh, Tuz called the guy a rooster slurper, uh, our, our, <laughs> our current prime minister, and that blew up. So that became the logo of the mashup. And then this this right here, I'll, I'll get you to, to pull it open, is from uh, Silver Gold Bull. So this is this is uh, something cool. Uh, you know, um, one of the major sponsors of the podcast for 2024 is Silver Gold Bull. And so uh, right there is a one-ounce silver coin. Oh. And, uh, you know, like trying, we've been trying to talk about different things and what's been going on and trying to get people, you know, to uh, certainly whether it's, it's COVID, uh, the current state of like, finance and and inflation and all these different things and one of the cool people that you know has come across my plate in the last couple of years has been silver gold bull a company based out of alberta and uh they started uh, with the with the podcast and uh, we got talking about it and they're like well why don't we you know because it doesn't happen that often that you know guests travel this far i'm like well we got to find a way to <laughs> put something in that you know and so there it is there it, i don't know if you're a big silver guy or a gold guy or neither but uh Either way, there's a silver uh, silver gold bull coin for you. Well, I'll tell you what though, um, and I and I'm I'm a, I'm a little emotional about this, folks. Not because necessarily because of the coin, but and you might not be able to pick it up on the camera. But what's on the back of this is a bison, and it, this was not re- rehearsed. No, when I, when uh, he, he, he and, and, and he had no idea this was coming. No, so no, and I and I want folks to know that the reason that kind of chokes me up a little bit because. And I hope we have the time to get into this, as we certainly will tonight at the um, at the presentation we're going to have. But you know, we talk about a lot about um, you know what happened during COVID, and and I talk have a tendency to talk about the National Citizens Inquiry quite quite a bit. But those discussions are intended to m- make people understand or remind people because we don't, you know, you don't want to. You don't want to dwell on tragedy. You don't want to dwell on, on, on something that's necessarily so impacted you. You know, we lost people. We're, m- your parents died. Families broke up. People went bankrupt. And there's a ten- tendency that people want to forget about that. And when we talk about it, it brings back those emotions. And I want to capture that because that's not all of it. What do you do when we remind you of these horrible things that happen and you're sitting there in your home and you're banging your fist and you're saying, what do I do? 
Well, that's where this buffalo comes in. Their bison comes in. I'm old, so we used to call these buffaloes. Now we call them bisons. And there's a number of groups in Canada, one that I co-founded called Manitoba Stronger Together. And, and there's uh, several in Alberta that have started, in Ontario. In Alberta, you have Take Back Alberta, and they just opened a, a group in Ontario called Take Back Ontario. And there's a number of them across the country. And Saskatchewan has one as well. Nadine Ness has yep. got a group here in Saskatchewan as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so remember what happened and what they did to you and focus that energy into some of these organizations like Manitoba Stronger Together. And the reason the bison is so important with that, because I'll tell you what, when we started this, we had, we had people coming in and said, you know, I grew up in a little tiny town in Manitoba called Stony Mountain. There's a penitentiary there. It's been there since the 1800s. <laughs> there used to be a quarry, folks. There's probably 1,200 people living there. And so, you know, I would get the question, well, what do you think you're doing, Mr. Drysdale? You're this kid, this farm kid. I grew up on a mink ranch, for, of all things. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think you're doing? You're a, young, you're a farm kid from Stony Mountain. Nobody's even heard of Stony Mountain, unless you're a federal prisoner. <laughs> You think you're going to start this freedom movement? You think you're going to start this take back democracy movement? I mean, you're who are you? And we took on the symbol of the bison for our group because in the late 1800s, the bison in North America were almost extinct. Extinct. They were virtually extinct. They were gone. They were going. And the little tiny hamlet of Stony Mountain. The 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 um, the guy that used to run it, and I can't remember his name at the time. The um, the warden at the time, he had he he liked bisons, and he got together a few bisons in this tiny little town, little hamlet of Stony Mountain, and he started to breed these things. And soon he had so many of them that people started to complain. And so he started shipping them across North America. They came to Alberta. Those are Stony Mountain bison you see. Folks. No kidding. United States, most of those bisons, their roots come from Stony, Stony Mountain, Mountain, Manitoba. So when people say to me, farm kid from Stony Mountain, what do you think you can do? What do you think this little organization from Stony Mountain or Winnipeg can do? And I say, back in the 1800s, we saved the bisons in North America, perhaps the world, the North American bison. And can we do that again with democracy? Can we return the power to the people from this tiny little place, Winnipeg or Stony Mountain? What do you think? Well, I think it's um, what one person can do. You, you just don't know. No. You know? Like, I mean, you. <laughs> I, do, I'm not, I don't want to toot my own hair at all. All I mean is... Uh, a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson, I heard him, well, I actually started with with Joe Rogan, uh, hearing him do a podcast and being like, oh, I could do this. Yeah. And then, you know, reading a Jordan Peterson book and a couple other things start to come into play and, uh, you know, and on and on. I'm mixing up the timeline because it was Jordan Peterson. Then I heard the podcast. But regardless, I didn't start this to do any of this. No. I started to, I, honestly, like I started to uh, get to um, Glenn Healy of all people, because yeah. he was the president, I think he still is, of the NHL Alumni Association, because I thought, and still think, they should have a podcast that interviews all the old-timers. Like, not just Wayne Gretzky. Like, 
the no-namers, these guys have stories, and they're dying all the time. And I don't mean that in a ba- they're like in a nefarious way. They're just getting old, and yeah. you know, as time goes on, and there's like I, I think I did the math at one point in time. It's like uh, four thousand, maybe it's maybe it's more than that. I can't remember. Is it forty-five hundred NHL alumni? I can't remember. But I remember doing the math. Like it'd be years upon years if you did one a day. So three hundred sixty-five. You couldn't get through them all. Like you'd have to have year upon year of just going as hard as you could. Yeah. And so I got to pitch the idea to Glenn Healy, and I remember him being like, "Now nah, we already got a podcast and whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, fuck me. I'm 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 Sean <laughs> Newman from you know wherever. What can I do?" And then COVID happened. And don't get me wrong, I drug my feet for a long freaking time. But uh, you know, eventually, when you, when you you know, like, what has Sean Newman done? I I I can't say what I've done. I mean, the listeners from time to time tell me. But I know what Jordan Peterson has done for me, and I'm a small microcosm of that, man. And I like to think that because of having people like yourself and a whole list of other people on, that uh, there's been a giant effect. So can you save democracy? It's Well, well, I mean, if you don't try, nothing's going to happen. And uh, as the story, as the bison, that's that's an incredible story. You know, one of the things I'd like to point out about this is it's silver gold bull. So it's funny that I had no idea about that either, but you know now I'm going to point it out, and I and I'll, and, I'll, and then I'll get off silver gold. But <clears throat> uh, Nick, one of the 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 owners, had uh, uh, basically apologized because he said, uh, actually because of a stock short, we don't have this, the 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 bull <laughs> on the coin. So that makes it even more rare that this happens for for you to be the first guy to receive anything for coming in here. Because normally it would be a bull on there, not. A bison. Is, is that right? I'm, well, look. Look uh, on the... Yeah, look no, on the fr- I, I wondered about that. I, You know, I obviously saw the logo in the bag and so, I thought... So if people are looking on the screen, I mean, it, it's a bull on the bag, right? But in, in the bag, the coin is actually uh, uh, a bison. Isn't that something? You know, it, so much of what at least was put in my path on this was serendipitous. You know, it was... what. Like what happened? And I'll be honest with you. You know, I didn't. I didn't go looking to be a, a troublemaker. When when they announced the lockdowns, to be honest, I was in Mexico. My son was getting married. My youngest son was getting married, and they announced it on the day we were leaving anyway. And I and I have to say that my wife and I were suspicious just the way they said it and what was being told. And then you know we flew into Toronto Airport, and when we saw what was going on in Toronto Airport, we knew it was a lie. You know, if it was what they said it was, then they would have separated the flights coming in. They would have had they they have all kinds of kiosks for those of you who have flown into Toronto International. Worst they, airport in the world, I swear. One of the worst. No, no, the United a lot of airports in the United States beat it hands down. Go to New Jersey Airport. You anyway. <laughs> but 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 you know, so we came in there, and instead of separating people, they jammed everybody. They closed down a lot of kiosks. They had thousands and thousands of people in these lineups, belly button to belly button. And then you came to these computer screens, and there were not enough of them. And you were there for hours, and nobody was cleaning those screens. And so we knew there was something the matter. And then, you know, I, I started to monitor just because. I started to monitor the airports' arrivals and departures, and the government said they had locked down the airports and weren't allowing flights in. Well, I monitored them for several, several months after March, and I posted the results on Facebook, and I'm not a Facebook guy. You know, if you look at my Facebook page, it's not even about me. It's a, My wife's a, a performing artist. She's a singer and a songwriter, and it, I was promoting her on it, and the header is still that. It's all about her. In any case, I started posting, showing you that 
month after month in, I think it was Montreal, maybe Calgary, I don't remember, and Toronto, where flights were coming in from China every day. Some of them were disguised. They said such and such flight arriving from Paris, but the origin was somewhere in China. So they would it originate in China. It might stop in Narita in, in Japan. They changed the name and it would continue on. So those flights were continuing when we were locked down. And so then, the, you know, the next crazy thing that happened is my wife and I were members of this, um, this um, dinner club at the time, similar to what they used to have in Edmonton. They used to have a petroleum club here. Okay. And I was a member of that too. And, you know, after being a contributor for many, many years, being, you know, uh, helping them with expansion projects and whatnot, they all of a sudden told me I couldn't come in anymore because I wasn't vaccinated. And so we quit. And it, this was during the height of the lockdowns. I guess the RCMP are going to come get me and take me back now. But it was during the height of the lockdowns. And we were so angry. We started our own. So we started a, this. For me, this started as a dinner club. And we had a wonderful time. We had it catered during the lockdowns in my home. And then we had another. This was just before Halloween of, I guess, 2021. And then, and then at Christmas time, we had another dinner, and, and a couple of girls got together who were part of this, including my lovely wife, Rosalie. And uh, they met, and they said, you know, this is great, but we've got to be doing something about this. And they started talking about what they could do and wanted to do some kind of a report and get some experts in. And, and it was at that point my wife uh, <clears throat> um, uh, said, oh, Ken has done lots of reports. Maybe he could do something. <laughs> so then I got drafted into it, um, and I wrote that 89-page report. That went to the moon and back. That went to the moon and back. Yeah. And then what happened, is what really happened after that, it was it started getting big, and we did a bunch of things, and you know, it started to get known, and that's when the Winnipeg police threatened me. And uh, and I'm still under under uh, surveillance, as I understand. I think we're all under surveillance at this point. With no warrant, folks, by the way. Um, and then what happened is I get a phone call from Sean Buckley, who I know you know. And he was with the National Citizens Inquiry. And he phoned me up and he started talking to me. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this fellow? And then he explains to me he's with the National Citizens Inquiry. And, and they're interested in talking to me. But did I have a problem filling out the application form for commissioner. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it wasn't fully filled out. We thought maybe we're having some kind of problems. And I said, I never filled out a form. And it turns out a lady in Red Deer, when we were when we were doing the, the, the hearings. Filled, filled your name out. For... She, she filled my name out and suggested me. And apparently a bunch of other people did too. So, you know, stumbling into the 89-page report... And then having someone <laughs> stumbling into the National Citizens Inquiry. And, and um, so, you know, I, 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 you might not, you know, folks, it's, it's not so, I mean, it would be great if we were all so, so, we were so aware of what was going on that we took advantage of opportunities and stood up. Yeah. And I have to admit, that's not what I did. An opportunity presented itself and they kind of pushed me forward and I, I stood up and did what I had to do, yeah. but I hadn't planned it. And so folks, when you're thinking about what you have to do or what you should be doing, you need to stand up whether you planned it or not. You know, if it, if it comes to you, maybe that's providence. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's lightning striking. I don't know. But when those opportunities come up, 
they're there for a reason, and you can make a difference. You know, you can, when, when Sean and I were talking about coming here, you know, remember you called me a couple of times, Ken, could you do this and that? And I couldn't. We talked earlier when yeah. I was uh, uh, at the hearings from the National Citizens Inquiry, and of course, I couldn't do a podcast then because, you know, I had to approach the whole thing, listen to the witness testimony with an open mind, which I did, and then we prepared the report. And then after that, I can stand on the conclusions of the report. But, uh, you know, folks, we're all faced or we're all presented with opportunities. And maybe we didn't plan them. I was supposed to be retired. I worked all my life. And I started working as a butcher when I was 10 years old, full time. And when I retired uh, in 2016, I kind of thought I would be. That'd you know, be done. I'd be done. And then I became a, for folks somewhere, broadcasting out of Lloyd Minster. Folks, you know, I spent 42 years or 40-some years as a professional engineer. And when I retired two days later, I went back to community college. And I became a licensed structural welder. And so I started a little welding business. And then we got into the music business. We do music. And these opportunities presented. And we weren't looking for them. But we stood up. And that's what Canadians need to do here. You need to stand up. Maybe you didn't plan it. Maybe you'd like to watch football, you know, every night when you come home. But you have to stand up. And, and you might not know how, but you need to reach out to groups like Manitoba Stronger Together or Take Back Alberta. And there's a plethora of other ones. Or if there. you go to the local version of what we're sitting at here in Lloydminster yeah. for the kids' sake. Absolutely. I mean. And you know what? They, they look at we're all working towards the same thing. We all want to get accountability from our government. You know, they murdered people here, folks. They destroyed lives. You know, Dr. Fauci was testifying behind closed doors in the Senate yesterday, and one of the senators asked him, and the transcripts, I understand, will be coming out shortly. One of the senators asked him, well, Mr. Fa Dr. Fauci, where did that six-foot rule come from? Was it based on, what was the science it was based on? Fauci's answer was, it wasn't based on science. It just sort of happened. So this just sort of happened that they did to you folks. People were getting beat up over it. They were getting arrested. I believe there were people who were killed over that six-foot rule because people were so terrified by propaganda organizations like the national broadcaster in Canada, 24-7 stuff, that they when, when they saw somebody, somebody standing five foot six away from them and they listened to our health, public health authorities who, that this was going to kill grandma or it was going to kill you, people lost their minds. And this Fauci, in my opinion, stating so cavalierly that, oh, it just, this six rule just kind of appeared. The self-proclaimed, I am the science. Yes. And then the fools here in Canada, and I use those words carefully, you know, the, the, the Dina Henshaws of the world, the, not to pick on her, the Dr. Tams of the world, the Dr. Strangs of the world, who was the uh, public health officer in the East Coast, uh, I can't even remember half their names, the Dr. Rusins in Manitoba, the famous one from BC and, and I mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly good friends with uh, Clay, uh, Leighton Gray and I discussed with him at the time the testimony of uh, Dina Henshaw 
And when he asked them, asked her how they had um, come up with these uh, mandates in Alberta, she said she, they didn't base it on anything. They didn't. They just knew that Quebec did it, or Ontario did it, or wherever she said did it, and they followed suit. You know, this is one of the most highest paid bureaucrats in your province, and they just followed suit. You know, not to mention what they did to Sheila Lewis. And who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for the murder of Sheila Lewis that happened in Alberta? And for those of you who perhaps don't know that story, it's an incredible story. Sheila Lewis needed a transplant. And she was being evaluated. When you need a transplant, they evaluate you for a long period of time, sometimes a year or more, to see if you're a suitable transplant uh, uh, patient because, you know, not everybody is. And she went through all that process. As a matter of fact, during that process, they found out that they had public health, Alberta, had lost her vaccina childhood vaccination records. So she got all of her childhood vaccinations. And then what happened, and, and people should understand, this was in the summer or fall of 2022. They demanded she take the COVID vaccine. She was afraid of that, didn't want to take it. And as a matter of fact, she took it upon herself to get tested for COVID antibodies, which would mean that she was always ex already exposed to COVID and that she was immune to it. And the test said, indeed, she had had it. She was immune to it. She didn't need the vaccine. Now, these doctors insisted. And so they took her off of the transplant list. She tried to fight it in court. She lost. And there's some really interesting rulings there at the Alberta. And it went to the Alberta Court of Appeal, and she lost. And again, folks, you want to read what that uh, ruling was. It's really interesting. And then she tried to take it to the Supreme Court of Canada, and those cowards wouldn't take up the case. Now, it's interesting to note that during the COVID uh, fiasco, those Supreme Court justices were parading around doing ads and masks. So do you think that anybody standing before them was going to get a fair trial? I don't know why Supreme Court justices were out doing propaganda, which is totally inappropriate. So in any case, make a longer, a, a terrible and tragic story a, a short. Sheila refused to take the vaccines. The Alberta Health Services cut her off from her transplant. They, they threw her off the list. She knew she was, without that transplant, she was going to die. They started to raise money for her so she could go to the uh, United States to get the transplant. There was a hospital in Texas that was going to do it. She testified at the National Citizens Inquiry. And, it, you know, she, I remember, it'll, it'll haunt me for the rest of my life, where she, they, I can't remember if it was me or someone asked her, you know, what do you want? And she started to cry. And she said, all I want is to see my grandchildren grow up. And then she died a few months later. She died when we were writing the report for the National Citizens Inquiry. And, if you know, I'll, I'll finish that by saying that... Um, you know, people have asked me, you know, if, for those of you who are not aware, the National Citizen Inquiry report is almost 700 pages of analysis and recommendations. We made 400 recommendations across an entire spectrum of things like um, health care, the military, emergency planning, uh, schools, churches, right across the spectrum of Canadian society. 
And people have told me, you know, you wrote this report, you commissioners wrote this report. It's, it's like I said, it's about 700 pages, detailed pages, and there's 4,000 pages of sworn testimony that go with it. And they said that must have been, you know, we, I, I personally spent about 1,500 hours on it. And people say, well, that was a lot of work. That must have been a burden. And, and no. The burden that we had wasn't writing a 700-page encyclopedia of what happened in Canada. The burden was that we couldn't, you know, we had over 300 Canadians come out and tell their stories. We had Sheila Lewis come out and tell us what was going on. And the burden was we needed to get it out and, and fairly and, and with fidelity to what these folks had told us. And we needed to get it out in good time. You know, I had the fantasy, I have to tell you, I had a fantasy that we were going to get it out in time for Sheila and it would have made a difference. And I, I'll never forget when she died because we had a meeting, those commissioners had a meeting that day and we were talking about the report and I'm pushing and pushing and, and I lost it that day in front of the commissioners and got really mad and to this day I don't think they know why I did that. It was because I had so much hoped that we could have made a difference for Sheila. Sheila is a true Canadian hero. And you know what? We should be putting statues up on her. But most Canadians don't know who she is or what she stood for. And folks, she didn't make any money at this. She's dead. And she stood up. And people said to me, well, how stupid is that? You know, why didn't she just take it? Sometimes you have to stand up not just for yourself. You know, you have to stand up for your children or your grandchildren or your neighbor. You know, it's an interesting thing. People have said to me, well, why are you doing this? Why are you involved in this? Why, why are you saying it didn't really affect you, Ken? Well, it did, and, and in ways you don't even know how. But, you know, even if it didn't, if I ask a person, you know, if you, if you were living next door to somebody and they had the dog out in the backyard and were beating it with a stick, would you say something? Most people would. But we all knew of old people in, in old folks' homes, and I'm getting that age, folks, these people who were locked up for weeks and months at a time by themselves, they were dying of neglect. It's, and there's a whole section in the National Citizens Re Inquiry about this. They knew what they were doing. And we stood by, and we didn't say anything. And today, there's a lot of good folks, and, and the movement is growing about the indignation. You know, people ask me all the time, well, what do you think this report's going to do? And my answer sometimes isn't that popular. My answer is, I, I quote, um, and I always get the name of Admiral Yamashita, was a Japanese admiral, Navy admiral in the world in the World War II, and he, he, the, the quote that was allocated to him when they hit Pearl Harbor is they said, I, I'm afraid that all we've done is awaken a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible rage. And so perhaps this isn't the best person to quote, but what do I want the National Citizens Inquiry report to do? I want it to wake Canadians up. And I want them to be filled with a terrible rage. And I want them to focus that rage on 
taking back their political system. I'm not talking about violence. I'm not talking about those kinds of things that some of the commentators will say. What I'm talking about is you legally taking over the political system. And frankly, folks, and I'll talk about this in the presentation tonight. I don't know if we have time today, but you don't know how tenuous the current political group has in power in our country. You know, one of the things Sean asked me to do to come on tonight was to talk about some of the political situation and the hold on power in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And I did that, by the way. <laughs> I, um, you know, <laughs> it's, I love, I love a guy who listens to it. That's, that's great. <laughs> I haven't got there yet, but uh, I, I look forward to listening to it. You know, I, I, I don't understand. I don't think Lloyd Minster understands, um, or anywhere understand, you know, like I, I have these brainchild ideas. Sorry, I'm cutting in, but, oh. um, of like, yeah, I'm going to bring Ken Drysdale. Now, do people know who you are? Yeah, sure. Do people know, do as everybody know who you are? No, not a, not a chance. No. There's a bunch of people that are like, who is this guy? And I'm like, well, this guy's somebody you want to listen to. And uh, I've got a, a ton of respect for you um, going back to the first time and only time you've been on the podcast, now the second time. Um, regardless, I'll let you finish your thought because uh, that just strikes me because when we talked on the phone, you're like, well, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, well, you know, like truthfully, we're in this weird position. We sit, we're a border city. So in the middle of pan, the COVID pandemic, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that struck me coming home from Ottawa was following the, uh, I told you to turn your phone off and then it's my phone that's <laughs> doing the dinghy, um, was looking at the map and seeing as uh, they said, you, you can never cross the border into the States, right? If you're not vaccinated, you can't go across. Yep. And then I, I, I got looking on the ride home and I'm looking at it the border of Manitoba and the United States. And there's this little tiny chunk, very tiny, very, very tiny, no border crossing. Yep. And if you aren't from Manitoba, I assume you have no idea it's there. But I looked it up on the ride home because I'm like, look, right here, the United States is on is on the like the north side of the border, if that makes sense. Like, it, I have no idea why that part is the United States. Go look it up on a map, folks. It's wild. Yep. Go to the southeast corner of Manitoba. And I'm like, those liars because I'm not saying that they won't let you across at the border but I can cross the border anytime I want and I should have done you know if I'd known I should have just threw, threw up a video hey boys and girls I'm in the United States right now <laughs> they said boo you know because it's it's sitting right there and so the reason I bring up that story is because here on in Lloydminster on the border city we had wild things going on yeah. right we got we're governed by uh, Sask Health Authority Right. Even though as we sit here right now in this studio, we're on the Alberta side. So Alberta shuts down all the restaurants. Our restaurants stay partially open. So now you got people driving from all over God's creation to come to Lloyd Minster because at least they can come have a meal. Everybody's pools are shutting down. Our pool didn't shut down. And you're like, <laughs> but I thought I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the pool with my wife and kids. I'm like, but I thought the, I thought the, I thought this was a deadly virus. And my wife's like, ah. Just can we just sit in the pool? And I love my wife, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I just I just thought I was killing everybody. And she's like, what? And I'm like, well, I mean, obviously because we're wet, that's why it won't. It, that's why it, you know we can be in the pool, right? I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And if you're not in a border spot, right? I think of like, can you imagine living in southern Saskatchewan, Alberta, and bordering on Montana? 
Like, I mean, they're looking at their neighbors going, those guys don't have the stuff we got going on. So a border is a really interesting spot. So when I brought it up to you, I'm like, one of the interesting things, and now with David Parker being a part of it, right? And then Ken Rutherford going to be talking as well. And I no slouch. And Nadine, uh, if you're listening, uh, you know, it would have been great if she could have made it. I believe, if I remember our conversation, they had a, a meeting tonight in Regina. I want to say Regina. Anyways, but the, the, the idea is, is like all the prairie provinces, all of Canada faces the same problem we got to find a way to get involved in our communities yeah. and and have our voices heard. And it's a democracy, yeah. so vote it in. Oh, and you know what? Like I said, and we'll get into this tonight, but folks, it is so easy. I, um, I brought notes, but I'll refer to those tonight. But when I looked at the election results, um, uh, the provincial election results in Alberta, it's it's really interesting, and and you know, and I realize our schools really don't give you any education how the government system works, and so you know, if you don't know how something works, you you, you normally stay away from it. But in Alberta, there's 87 seats in the provincial legislature, and and I'm going by memory, folks, but there were like, and in each seat, when I when I say a seat, folks, that means that they split the um, province of uh, Alberta up into 87 zones. And the idea in each zone in Alberta that that zone represents about, about 35,000 eligible voters. And so each one of those zones gets represented by a person who will be elected into the legislature. And then we call that a constituency. Sometimes they call it a seat because they're talking about your, your legislator sits in the, a seat in the legislature. So when I say seat or I say con uh, constituency, that's what I'm talking about. So in Alberta, you have 87 um, seats or 87 elected representatives. Each one represents 35,000 people. Now, you had a record turnout in your provincial election this last time. You know what that means? You had about 57% of people come to vote, eligible voters. Now, in I think it was four or five of constituencies, they were determined, they were by less than 500 vote margin. Keep in mind, only about 50, 60% of the people voted. So that's uh, 35,000 divided by two, 17,500. So let's say there was 15,000 people didn't vote. It was decided by less than 500 voters. You had one in Calgary that was decided by 22 votes. And if you bring that out a little bit, there were, I think, 14, 15, 16 seats that were decided by less than 1,000 or 2,000 votes. So if you do the, if you do the, um, uh, you go back to your Japanese commander, if you just get pissed off and go, and this is Chris Sims, the Alberta Taxpayer, uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, but she's the Alberta director. You know, if, if a MP or, M, or MLA, she tells me this all the time, won't listen to you. You just call them and you say, fine, that I'm going to hire, I'm going to get four friends to me and we're going to door knock against you because I'm tired of this. Yep. And you know, when you put it that way, Ken, you're not wrong. It's like, how many of us are just sitting on the sidelines? And I'm being hard on myself here, folks. Not all of you. I'm being hard on myself right now because I'm like, I'm active, but how active am I? Yeah. And like, you know, with uh, Lloyd Minster coming up, we got a by-election just for a city councilor. It's nothing crazy. But it's a city councilor, one of seven positions in Lloydminster, a town of roughly 30,000. Maybe I'm a little high, maybe I'm a little low. And you go, well, we should probably treat that with the same tenacity that we do our MP or our MLA or our premier because it matters. Yeah. And we found that out, didn't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, at it, it, since the general election in Alberta, you've had three by-elections. I think it was three by-elections. And the turnout, voter turnout was in the 30% range. 
you know, you, in Saskatchewan, I, I analyze that too. <laughs> and uh, did I to, mention that he did an eighty-nine page forensic <laughs> audit of COVID? But you know, it, the story is the same in Saskatchewan, and we'll talk about the numbers tonight. And we're at the Legacy Center, folks, at seven o'clock here in Lloydminster. Um, By the time they hear this, it'll be it'll be uh, far too true. late. Right? Oh well, you know yeah. what? It's uh, but in saying know, that, I believe they. You know, in saying all that, Ken, I think. Uh, the group is recording it, so I think they'll actually be able to see your talk uh, oh, on Facebook. I think. I think that's okay. that's what'll happen. Well, well, you know, I'll tell you something that really shocked me. Of course, we just had a provincial election in uh, Manitoba in October, and you know, so I analyzed the results from October 2023, and I compared it to the results of 2019. Really interesting. Really, it shocked me. In 2019, in the Manitoba provincial election, we had a turnout, voter turnout of 51.9%. And then the COVID stuff happened, and the lockdowns happened. And I don't know of a single person that I know of in my circle, and I hope your listeners ask themselves this question, how many people do you know that probably died from a lockdown, from a vaccine injury, they maybe committed suicide because they, they were kicked out of work, mandated out of this or that. We've all, every single one of us have been affected. And everybody's yelling, right? You go on Facebook, blah, 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 all these people in their basements clicking away, you know. Yeah. And they're all mad. So then we come to October 3rd, 2023, and we have a Manitoba provincial election. Of course, a lot of those mandates came out of the provincial health department, illegally in my opinion. Guess what the percentage of voters were? I don't know. I feel like you're about to scare me. What was it? 51.9%. Exactly the same percentage of voters in that, that voted in 2019. We were we were talking, have you done, um, uh, we were talking about Quebec, right? Because Quebec had, would we argue the harshest? Like they had curfew. They had curfew. You know, when they talk about uh, the elderly, like the the second or not secondary care, but like the facilities with the elderly in it, like they got some weird stuff that went on down there, and like the stories are quite insane. On and on it goes. Elected the same government with a and you're like, what is that about? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'll tell you what it's about because I, I know <laughs> we've given some thought. We've talked to lots of people. You know, uh, we start we started Manitoba Stronger Together. Chris Riddell and I were co-founders, and it was to address. You know, we started to think about why is this? Why is it that people are so mad, and they're going to school board meetings, and they're yelling at these school board trustees, and they don't get a response out of them. But then when you look at it and you find out that the school board trustees up there got elected by 100 votes or 200 votes or 300 votes, you know, I'm going to drift here just a second. But about a month or two ago, there's a city in Manitoba called Brandon. Oh, yes. It's, it's a little smaller than Lloyd Minster, so yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if it's 20, 25,000. They Spent had, many a night in Brandon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, they had a school board um, uh, election about a month, two months ago. And there was 35,000 eligible voters. And keep in mind, people are going to school board meetings with signs and they're yelling and they're screaming at the microphone. Wouldn't it be easier, folks, if the people you elected to the school board reflected your, your desires and your needs and your wants? But out of 35,000 eligible voters in the city of Brandon, 3,000 showed up. 
and voted. So ten percent. Not even ten percent. Yeah, ten percent less. Less. But then you combine that with the some of the tricks they play. So we also had a, a, a school board election in a small, tiny little rural area in Manitoba. Maybe I shouldn't say the name of it, but this happened on the November, the first week of November. So according to legislation in Manitoba, they had to give so many days for people to um, nominate, you know, for people to put in their nominations. I can't remember the number, 41 days or something, 51 days. And then they're required to put an announcement in the local newspaper or and or send out notices to every single resident. None of that happened. So. On October, I think it was October 3rd, under the Manitoba legislation, there's no prescribed length of time that's required after nominations are set before the election takes place. So nominations are set, Sean is running and I'm running. Now it's up to the elections officer to decide how long do we campaign. So the announcement of the two candidates out there was made on Monday, uh, November 4th fourth or whatever, but the month, first Monday of November, the election was set for the following Monday, seven days. There was a Remembrance Day observance on Saturday that day. Now, most of us folks, that's not supposed to be a holiday. That's supposed to be a remembrance. You shouldn't be expecting the, the day off, in my opinion, but the government workers do. So Remembrance Day landed on the Saturday, and guess what? They got Monday off. Government workers didn't have to work Monday. That was election day. So the returning officer decided that we would announce the election and the candidates on the Monday, the following Monday, with a holiday in there. They had the election. And, oh, by the way, did I forget to say, when they announced the two candidates, there was no phone number. There was no way to contact these people. Most people didn't know who the heck they were. And you didn't. You had uh, four days to figure it out. So if you didn't pick up your mail for a day. So th these are some of the tricks they pull too. I'm not particularly saying anything criminal happened here, but folks didn't. No, it's, it's within the letter of the law. Yeah. But aren't we learning a whole bunch about the law? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's incredible. And this is happening right across Canada. You know, they're using these rules. They're, 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 they're not informing the citizens. Citizens don't even know what the heck is going on. I can tell you that we in Manitoba are doing something similar to what Take Back Alberta has done here in, in Alberta. And we've started to take back and starting to uh, affect influence internal to the political parties. And people would be shocked, absolutely shocked to find out what we found out, what we found out about how these are run, how disorganized they are, how they don't even follow their own rules. It's incredible. It's like kindergarten stuff. And, I, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm an engineer, folks. So if I'm excited and I'm telling you this with emotion, that's how incredible this is. And so when folks say to me, well, Ken, there's nothing we can do about this. That's just not true. It is easy. Go get yourself involved with some of these groups. And, and maybe you don't like the ABC group, but you like the CDF group. That's okay. You know, it's like, you want a hamburger, right? Maybe you don't like McDonald's hamburgers, but you like A&W hamburgers, or you like Wendy's hamburgers, or you like your mom's hamburgers. I don't know. But you're all eating hamburgers. 
And in our freedom group, we've got to keep that in mind. You know, it's all too often you hear, oh, you know, Ken Drysdale, I didn't like that shirt he was wearing on that thing. So, you know, I... No, folks, we're all working towards the same thing, and there's multiple people doing it. And, and you know, the group you got here in, in, in Alberta, um, hats off to them. They have associated with, I can't remember how many other groups, like I think um, Dave Parker said 50 groups or something. They're, they're not joined to, but they're collaborating with, they're talking with, and we're pushing all forward towards the same thing. You know, so, folks, nobody's perfect in this movement, you know, uh, I'm an engineer. That means I'm supposed to be locked in a room somewhere with a slide rule, right? And perhaps a lot of people here don't know what a slide rule is, but it's before calculators. <laughs> and, and, you know, but here I am out here sitting on a podcast or standing on a stage talking, and I would rather be in Mexico, frankly, when it's 30 below here. But we're here doing it, folks, and you can too. And, you, and none of us have special training in this. We're all going to make mistakes. But, you know, find the group that you feel affinity to. Find the group that, you know, you like the folks in it and you can be part of that community. You know, one of the, the tenets of the group we started in Manitoba, and, and we don't care if you're living in Saskatchewan, Alberta, B.C., Florida, I don't care. Come join the group. It's free. We don't take donations, folks. We don't sell memberships. We don't sell T-shirts and underwear. <laughs> <laughs> logo that's not the way we do it we do this we finance our group and we operate our group like we did in the old days when we were raising barns on the prairies we've provided you with a website and we've provided you with tools and we've provided you with electronic business cards if you want to partake in it download the darn thing and print it out and pay for it yourself and so Nobody can come to us and attack us that, oh, Ken, you know, uh, you took in $25 of donations and I can only account for $20. We don't have a, a tax-free account with the government. So so uh, I'd retweeted Brett Weinstein Yeah. Um, because I think I- I'm probably just as, uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking, guilty of this as, as anyone, right? He said, dissidents succeeding in upending the COVID narrative, a historic victory. But instead of coming together and gearing up for the rematch that Goliath is clearly planning, a fair fraction are overtaken by pretty, uh, petty infighting. Why? And then he had four, uh, three points. Dissidents tend to be lone wolves rather than team players. Most dissidents have no experience wielding any power or influence at all. And so play the game like novices. Goliath has read and listened to enough private correspondence to play the dissident rivalries, jealousy, and mistrust like a fiddle. Anyone who is serious about fending off the next round of tyranny would be wise to level up and get pointed in the same direction. That goes for all of us, no exceptions. And um, I read that and I'm like, that is about as clear a point as ever. And I've been notorious, I'm not notorious. I just, you know, like I've, I've, um, I can trust what I've done, you know, like I, 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 um, and I guess I've, I'm careful about who I let into my realm. And I try really hard on that and I work really hard at it, but I read that and I'm like, you know, and then, and then it was just today, (laughs) it was just today that I read, my brother sent it to me. So then I retweeted it, you know, I was just like, I mean, you know, like everybody thinks we're all done. It's just, 
um, this was put on Twitter, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab are preparing for disease X. And I think most of us have heard rumblings about disease X, which would be 20 times more deadly than COVID. They are discussing what steps may be necessary, such as limiting your free speech to oppose their vaccination plans. They are not shy. They openly tell us about their plans before they impose them. And this was off the, the World Economic Forum annual meeting, and it just said preparing for disease X. With fresh warnings from around uh, from the World Health Organization that unknown disease X could result in 20 times more fatalities than the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, what novel efforts are needed to prepare healthcare systems for the multiple challenges ahead? And so you go like, we got to start, we got two things come to mind. One is you got to start like being, working together. Uh, I think in Lloyd here, you know, when we did the 1 million March for children, there were three groups that came together um, and, and worked here. I, and I thought it was a real beautiful thing. There was times where things were really tense, but the three groups came together in Lloyd, pulled off the largest protest that I know of in history in Lloydminster, and it was like a really healthy day. Yeah. Was there was there pro uh, anti-protest or whatever, counter-protesters? Certainly. But I think we outnumbered them like 650 to like 12. You know, like it, it was a healthy. So I guess to me, that's like we got to find a way to um, work together. Yeah. Even if you're a lone wolf, even if you're, I always call it an archipelago, right? Yep. We, it, we're a series of islands. We just are, but we can still work together and we need to. Oh, and yeah. so I've, I've tried adding that in. The second thing is, um, it's Jordan Peterson. He came on stage and, and I took my wife to him in Rogers, a place in Edmonton. And, uh, he basically said, nobody's coming to save you. I'm not coming to save you. Yep. You have to save yourself, yep. right? Like, I'm doing my part in, you know, the world sphere, right? But I'm living, you know, he's pretty much, I'm living in Florida, and um, I'm not coming back to Alberta. So the only people who are going to save Alberta is you. Yep. And if you scale that down all the way to a community, the only people who are going to save, save a community is you. Yep. And I, I, I guess I, what I admire about what, all the groups that are trying to do in their respective uh, provinces or down to, you know, the smallest, the hamlet, are doing is, like, they're trying to change it. And with the wins, I think it can spread as fast as the losses. You hear about the wins, you're like, what did they do? Can we mimic it? Can we redo what they just did? Maybe did they find the loophole? Because if they found, you know, like you, Leighton Gray here, the yep. lawyer from Cold Lake, Right, their group exposed that there was, you know, Alberta didn't follow its own laws, yep, and then right. all the charges start getting thrown out. Yeah, what a wonderful day! Absolutely. Even if it didn't acknowledge that there was, like, you know, we went against the old Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but hey, you know, like that's what everybody gets hung up on. But all the charges came out the door. Well, you know, <laughs> there's so much there. To, there's so much there to comment on. First, I support everybody who's who's fighting for freedom. In my personal opinion, there's certain things, and I ask, you know, I, I've, I've done, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 live events in cities across uh, uh, Manitoba anyway. And I, I always ask, just because I'm a troublemaker, <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't support these folks, but I ask them, so... Anybody in the crowd know what to do if they find out that Canada is a corporation? Okay, and then I say, anybody in the room know how to get a new charter of rights and freedoms or a new constitution put together? Nobody puts up their hand. And I say, so 
Are you frustrated with that? Do you think, are you convinced that there's nothing that you can do? You know, the guy like me or the carpenter or the shoe salesman or whatever, wouldn't you like to think of something you can do? Because you don't have millions of dollars to spend on lawsuits and the, tr the crooked judges are going to throw them out anyway. So what can you do? You can get involved in the grassroots and vote. Go, go to your school board election. You know what? Maybe you can't. I tell this story all the time and people laugh, but it's true. You know, there's a story. For those folks in your audience might or might not know the story of Gideon. Whether you, It's from the Bible, and if you're not a Christian, that's fine. We've got to recognize, if you're not a Christian, that the Bible is a, also a literary work, and it's a seminal work to our Western society. Whether you believe it as a, as a religious document or as a literary work, it doesn't matter. But, so there's a lot of wisdom in that book, whether you believe or not. There's a story about Gideon, and Gideon was part of a community who was under siege by another group, and that group would come in, they stole their food, and they were starving, and they would steal their resources and their donkeys and everything else. And, and they were reduced to the part, to the point where Gideon was hiding in a, in a cave, and he was trying to press grapes in there, and they were hiding in a cave, and he was in the grape press himself. And he got a message, or he got a, a, a feeling, and the message was, you are going to lead your people out of this slavery. You are going to redeem your nation. And Gideon said, I'm the smallest, most insignificant person in my family. And our family is the smallest, most insignificant family in the nation. But he was inspired. And whether, again, whether you're a Christian or not, he was inspired and led his people out of tyranny. So it's not necessarily the, I don't know, the Gandhis or the Donald Trumpses, whether you like them or not, or whoever else you want to name. But who was Gandhi before? Right. Well, who was Tamara Leach before? Exactly. Who was Sheila Annette Lewis yes. before? You know, all the way back to Sheila Annette Lewis, uh, I was supposed to interview her probably, I don't know, was it two weeks before she died? Somewhere in that range. And like the morning of... We're going to sit down and we're going to record. We're going to do it virtually. She just called me and said, I don't feel like it. Do you mind if we postpone? Yeah, not a problem. In my mind, I got all the time in the world because yes. I kind of do and I kind of don't. I don't know. But I'm just like, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. That's the yep. way I approach these things. And so I never get to sit with her, which is, you know, like obviously a real shame and a whole bunch of other words. But when you talk about, it, you know, the story of Gideon, like once upon a time, I interviewed this guy named Don Cherry <laughs> yeah. and I interviewed a guy named Ron McLean and I interviewed all these big, these big names. And I put that in quotes because you know, the, the big names I interview now, Ken, <laughs> if you don't know, you're like, who the hell is that? <laughs> and if you know, you get it Yeah. because there are some big names in this world right now that are Canadian Yes. and they are doing exceptional things and they're getting absolutely beat down by their government and by media and by everything oh yeah and those people are some people to get behind because they <laughs> they're not doing it for social accolade they're not doing it because they're they're getting you know welcomed in. i mean in some places they are for sure but overall 
Like they they're having their names just absolutely dragged through the mud uh, because of their what they believe and what they've seen and what they're you know like Chanel and that Lewis you know you said it right like why not just go get it yeah because sometimes you got to stand for something absolutely you you don't stand for something you stand for nothing and that's when they come in they take you over you know I. I, we could go on for a long, long time, and when we, when we've had it, when you've had enough, tell me. But I'm open, so I'm here. You know, um, <laughs> the guy, the guy comes from Manitoba, and he goes, "Oh, we could just shut it down whenever you want." I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm enjoying myself. Oh, wonderful! I'm, I'm happy to to continue. But um, you know, it, it, you're absolutely right. Nobody is riding in to save you. Do you think? Do you think, folks? That when you when you elect the next federal government and it's going to be a PC government, that they're going to undertake an investigation of their criminal actions. And I'm not I'm, I'm not dissing any political party, but there were five PCMPs federally that that said something during the pandemic, and I get that from an interview I did with uh, one of the MPs PCMPs in in Manitoba. One a really good guy honorable man ran a contracting business or perhaps still does he's an mp and he told me that there were five of them that said something and they were backbenched and i've interviewed the uh, some of the other mps because just like you said you know we were trying to get in to see our mps and they told us told me to go to heck and so i heard somebody else was doing the same thing so we got four together and guess what we got in and the ones that are standing to gain, at least the ones I've talked to, that stand to gain in the next PC government, they're going to be the minister of this, minister of that. Holy smokes, folks. They have no idea what's going on. We interviewed an MP a few weeks ago or months ago, and we said to him, so, you know, what do you think about the WEF, the World <laughs> Economic Forum? And I'm, and I'm not making this up. There was four of us or five of us in the room. He said, the WEF, that's just a social club. It's just like the Lions Club. I'm a member of the Lions Club. I don't understand why anybody wants to get upset about that. That's going to be your rep. And I'm not suggesting that the PCs are, are not somebody you should vote for. I don't think we have a choice in this country right now. We've got to change the government that we've got out. But the question becomes, who are you putting in there? And then the question becomes is, folks, you've been tricked. You've been fooled by the party system in Canada. And it's not just in Canada, the United States, Britain. The party system in Canada is like the shell and pea game. You know, there's a, there's a blue pea or shell, and there's a red shell, and there's an orange shell, and the pea is you, and they put it under the shell, and you know how the, 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 the guy or the girl moves around the shells, and you've been watching, you know the pea's under there, but when they lift it up, the pea's not there. That's how the political parties are. You're the pea. And so regardless of who you vote for, the red or the green or the blue or the orange party, it doesn't matter. You get screwed because they're all in it together. You know, the PCs didn't stand up for you during the pandemic. And again, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm voting PC in the next federal election. I don't have a choice now. One of the tenets of what we're doing in Manitoba Stronger Together, and I believe, and I won't speak for, the, for sure. the ones in Alberta, is we're telling the people, folks, stop thinking you're voting for the party. 
and start letting them know you're voting for the person. And when you when they're running, and by the way, on Manitoba Stronger Together, <laughs> we're creating, believe it or not, we're repeat, re- creating report cards for every single MLA. M- MLA. And that report card tells you how much money you spent on them, how many times they attended, what they voted for, what bills they've put forward. We put in there their financial disclosure documents. We put in there their election promises. And so when they're running, we sit down with them and we say, here's your report card. Oh, and by the way, when we prepare it, we offer it to them before we release it to the public and say, have you got anything else to say? And then we tell you whether or not they responded or not. There's a section on it that says, did they cooperate in this? Yes or no. So when they're running, we send this to them. And they might be a liberal. They might be an NDP. They might be a conservative. I don't care. And we say to them, this is your record. This is what we want. Some of the wants are pretty straightforward. We want a town hall at least once a year. We'll arrange it. We'll provide security. We'll pay for it. You come in and you tell us what you're doing. We'll tell you what we want, and we'll have a discussion. That's a pretty simple thing, no, no folks? How many of your MPs or MLAs have done town halls, open town halls? None of them, most of them. So now we have a report card, and we have a record of what we want, and we say to that person, well, we're going to elect you, or at least we're going to not do anything against you, but I tell you what, we're monitoring you through the next four years or five years or whatever it happens to be, and at the end, when you come back and want to be elected again, we're going to go through this list. Now, and, I, I, uh, I think it's a great idea. Um, speaking of where I sit and our constituency with Garth Rosewell as our uh, MLA, um, the night they uh, elected board members and everything, I think there was 50 people there. That's yeah. and, and it was just like, you know... Yeah. <laughs> It was it was a wild experience. I'd never been to anything like before, yeah. right? And I'm, you know, in fairness to a lot of people, I'm I'm trying, you know, like, hey, you should come to this. Hey, you should come to this. Hey, you should come. Everybody should come to this, right? Like, I mean, this is important. This is our MLA, right? So he's the one that's representing us for Alberta. Yep. And although I got a lot of time for Danielle Smith and parts of the government, not all of it, you know, like, we got to be able to put, somebody's feet to the fire and be like, what is going on? You know, or as of January 1, our gas went up nine cents. Yep. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? You, you don't need to do that. Don't you know everybody's kind of struggling right now? So why would you do that? doesn't make any sense. Anyways, go to this meeting. Uh, what was it, November? Was it Or was it October? It doesn't matter. Now walk in and I, I don't know what to expect. I've never been to one before, right? Had to be a, a UCP member, right? Some people get hung up on that. And I'm like the heck does it matter if it was an ndp representative you're going to get on the board or put somebody on the board that has to be around this and and hear what's going on and on and on and on it's a board yes i don't know what maybe i'm low am i low folks if you were there was it 50 was it maybe 60 i don't think it was 60 i think it'd be hard pressed to be 60 i want to say it was 50 or less and of those 50 people that went i think the board was god how many people was it i think in Entirety was 30 people. So, I, 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 you know, they have, yep. what, chief uh, financial law. Uh, there was a couple of special positions, a secretary, et cetera. But the rest are just commonplace board members. Yep. 27 of them, I think, got on that night. 27. That means one in two people. If you just went, you're a warm body, you're on the board. Yeah. And you think, can it be that easy? Oh, it can be that easy. I'm not saying every position is that easy. But no, most people don't want to give up their time. You know, like uh, one of the things I hope, you know, moving forward, um, 
when when one of the things I've noticed, and I'm curious about with um, Manitoba Stronger Together, uh, is in COVID, I think we had better attendance than past COVID because during COVID, everybody was there was nothing to do, everything shut down. Yeah. What the heck's going on? And so everybody came out, and and we had 200 plus people. We the numbers just kept going up and up. And we're like, holy man, like this is getting a little bit, you know, intense. And 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 yet great because you're like we're having different speakers come in, and you know, community, and you can see people trying to wrestle with this. And what do we do? And what don't we do? And uh, and we've seen it real, de- like a real decline. And I'm like, but folks, like in my mind, I'm like, we're not out of this. Like, yeah, we might have a year reprieve. Maybe we get five. Who knows? Don't think so. No. Certainly doesn't feel like it. No. And yet, the the pace of the world, especially in the Western world, man, like, just ramps up, and then everybody's too busy to do anything. I mean, you kind of get what you get, don't you? Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you can't, you know, one of the tenets of what we're doing is we're, we're, we're creating community. And we're creating, like, you know what? You can only pound your fist on the table for so long, and you can only yell for so long. But if you're part of a positive community, and you're part of something that you want to be with because you're socializing, you're talking to people who uh, there's free debate within the group, and you're looking forward to going and meeting with these new friends, this new community, then that community can work towards something rather than this is what we're going to do. We're going to run this candidate. You've got to create a community first that people want to be a part of. And, you know, my point when I was talking about Gideon is people say to me, I, I'll never forget it. We were in a little tiny town in Manitoba called Swan River, and we were doing a live event, and there was a – and um, this it's almost cliche. This little lady came up to me, and she said to me, but Mr. Drysdale, what do I do? I can't speak in public, and I don't know how to use computers. And I, and, and I didn't realize people were listening. People were listening, and I said to her, you know, I bet you make the best cinnamon buns in Swan River, don't you? She kind of looked at me, and she didn't, didn't say yes, but she kind of nodded. And I said, tell you what, next time we come to town, you let, we'll let everybody know that you're going to be making cinnamon buns, and they're going to be at the meeting. And I'll bet you we double attendance. And, you know, the next one we had was in a a slightly larger community called Steinbach, which is south of Winnipeg. And, again, it's about the size of Lloydminster. And, you know, folks, six people baked cinnamon buns and brought them. And that that crowd that night was, I think it was like 200 people. And for a small town like Steinbeck, that's a That's a big deal. So, you know. 200 people anywhere is a big deal. Yeah. But, you know, what can I do? Yeah. You know, and I I apologize for what I'm going to say next. Maybe I shouldn't be. But, you know, everybody or a lot of people know the story about the fishes and the loaves. You know, if you don't know the story, in the Bible, Jesus was talking to a multitude of people. There was, I can't remember, 5,000, 20,000 people, and, and there was no, you know, wasn't, there wasn't a McDonald's on the next corner, and they were getting hungry. And so the somebody came to, I think it was a disciple, came to Jesus, and they, I'm getting myself into trouble, folks. I'm not a b- b- biblical scholar. But they said, but Jesus said, you know, the crowd's getting restless. They want something to eat. And there was a little kid there that had a, a basket with a 
couple of fish in it and a couple of small loaves of bread. And, and you know, I hope you know the story then where Jesus fed the multitude on that. But what people don't ask is who packed that kid's lunch? Who made that bread? If it wasn't for the person who, somewhere who baked the bread and gave it to the kid, that whole miracle wouldn't have happened. Like the cinnamon buns. You know, this crazy thing. Do what you can do. Maybe you jog every day. And you go jog past 100 houses. Print off a couple of business cards off of the Manitoba Stronger Together site or the Alberta site, wherever one Or you like want. you say, any site you, 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 you uh, support. You find a community. Yeah, in. and drop it in the mailbox. You know, when you're standing in line at Costco, we don't like to admit we go there, but if you're standing in line at Costco and there's somebody standing in front of you, maybe you want to say, hey, excuse me, have you heard something about this National Citizens Inquiry? I don't know anything about it. And don't push it, but ask the question. Be friendly. And maybe 10 of them think you're crazy, but then one might go home and look it up and say, I didn't know this. And you never know what one person can do. Go right back to where we started. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'll tell you a fun little story. We were on the uh, um, Coach U7. My daughter plays uh, U7 hockey. And we had one of the moms come out, and, and she – built signs that said like pow and fantastic whatever yeah. and we did this little skating drill that we've done way too many times and she just told the kids every time you get to me i want you to punch the sign so she gave one of the signs to all the coaches and you can imagine all of us coaches are out there going like okay <laughs> yeah and dang it if the kids didn't skate so freaking hard that for that entire practice it was you had even a coach you know and lloyd we have uh three teams on the ice uh one in blue line and one in the uh between the blue lines one from the other yep. zone and one of the coaches said, I looked down, and I'm like, the heck is going on over there? They got it all organized. The kids are listening. I'm like, that's one person. Yep. And it's one person doing something that no other coach would have thought. Yep. And what I'm pointing out is the little things really, really, really matter. So cinnamon buns, you're, you're not wrong. Like, who doesn't want to show up and have the greatest home cooking you know, and you're like, oh, man, that's that, <laughs> little things matter. The little well, things do matter. Well, I'll tell you what, though. There's a downside to that because when we're in Steinbeck, you gained weight or oh yeah, there were five excellent homemade cinnamon buns. Oh, so you got to tell us a couple had, from. You, you're right. I had to try them all. You know, so you're up there trying to give a speech and your fingers are sticky. You know, but you know, folks, you don't have to push beyond the skills that you already have. Yeah, it's just a matter of understanding what those skills are. You know, maybe. Maybe go print off the 89-page report. You can't print off the NCI report. I mean, you could. It's like 700 pages of analysis and 5,420 pages of the report. I don't think you're going to do that. But print off the report and drop it off. Give it to your minister. Give it to the head of the 4-H. Give it to uh, your doctor. When you, a funny story about Two funny stories about that. <laughs> We often come here to Edmonton, my wife and I, and, and uh, in the fall, she came out because her she's got we've got relatives out here and her mom lives here. And she came out to visit her mom in the um, in the summertime. And my wife tends to have a little bit of a heavy foot. And she was coming home to Winnipeg. It's like a 14, 16-hour drive. And she was going through Saskatchewan. I, I guess she was going a little fast. And the RCMP pulled her over. And the officer gave her a ticket, a speeding ticket. And when he came back to the Rosalie's car, my wife's car, to give her the ticket. Rosalie goes, oh, wait a minute, officer, I have something for you. She dug around in her purse and she pulled out a um, Citizens for Truth card, which 
is all about that 89-page report, which, by the way, is a criminal complaint to the RCMP. And she said, you might want to have this. And she gave him a couple cards. <laughs> and he thanked her and kind of walked back to his car. So, you know, little things. Have some of those cards in your, in your, in your, um, in your car, in your purse, in your pocket. Hand them out. Put them up on a public bulletin board. You know, it's, sometimes it's just those little things that, well, and if you go back, if you rewind all the way back, I don't know if I'll tie this story properly. You know, you said you had two funny stories, and I'm cutting you off here quickly. <laughs> but I go back to the to the the the, um, the silver gold bull uh, yep. bison. You just don't know when you do something really really tiny that can set off a chain yeah. reaction, right? Butterfly effect or yep. what have you, of like where it's going to go. You have you have no clue. You know, I, this morning, woke up, we got a men's group meets, and it's minus 29 this morning. I'm driving to it, and I'm in the middle of, like, the industrial park, uh, roughly, um, refinery road for the people around Lloyd. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. It's just a long stretch of road. And there's a guy walking down the road, but he ain't walking fast. He's walking kind of in the middle. I'm like, you know, probably high, probably high on drugs. Yep. And at the time, uh, you know, I got no problem uh, mentioning some things. You know, I'm, I'm praying at the time. I'm, I had had a rough. I had a rough night. I had a rough night, and just like weird dream, like disturbing dreams. And so I was praying about it this morning. I'm driving. And I see this guy, and my first thought is like, just keep driving, don't stop, just keep driving. And uh, I get about a hundred yards past him, and I can feel like the tug, like you should go back. If you don't stop and help this guy and you come back an hour later and he's dead because he froze to death or he gets hit by a vehicle or whatever, you're, you're never going to let that go. So we went back and picked him up, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's scripture out there, and I'm no scholar, that talks about don't live in fear. I didn't create you to have a spirit of fear, and I forget what that is, and some listener, lovely listener is going to text me which it is, which I appreciate. <laughs> And that's what I was praying about this morning. Like, don't have, don't, why am I fearful? So I went back and picked the guy up. And, uh, I, I don't know how the world works. I, you know, like, uh, I was talking with, uh, Danae Rancourt and he started into physics and down that road yep. Yep. because he wanted to understand how things work. And I, I, I loved his, his story because I'm like, I started into getting deeper into this because I wanted to understand how the world works, not from a physics perspective, but from like a truth perspective, which could be physics, could be a lot of different things. And uh, man, you know, so I picked this guy up and I'm, you know, I'm praying about it and I'm, you know, like, don't stab me. You know, I'm thinking like just insane thoughts. But here's a guy in my community, whether or not he's, you know, where was he from? Everybody thinks they're all from all over the place. Yeah. Maidstone is where he's from originally. And uh, he was in tough shape. Like he was in tough shape. But, you know, by the end of it, I'm like, man, it's got me in tears. And I don't share this story lightly. I wasn't even going to share it. I was like, don't don't talk about this, Sean. You know, like, yeah, but dang it. He's got me in tears because he's, he's saying really profound things to me. And I'm just like, the heck is this? I'm picking you up, right? But I, I said to the boys after I dropped him off, I said, I think that was more for me than him. I mean, he's the one in, in physical, like, it ain't good. But funny enough, me mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, that, that this morning, I was in a tough shape. And this guy just lays down some things, and I'm just like, what is going on? I can't put my finger 
completely on that. I mean, I, I lean on God. I, yeah, I lean on faith. But uh, a wild time this morning. And all it took was just caring about your fellow citizen. Yeah. And, right? And we're back to the small things. All it was was a 10-minute ride. That's all it was. It was just this tiny little thing. Well, you know, some of the times the smallest little act, kindness, or compassion really results in the biggest payoffs, you know? I, I mean, I can tell you all kinds of stories like that, that that I've experienced in my life or I've seen or, or my wife has experienced, and it's, it's just... Um, you, it's, it's something about what we were talking about earlier, and that is, folks, you have to be able to recognize the situation or the opportunity, and you have to be willing to stand in on it and, and, and address it, take advantage of it, stand in the breach. And sometimes, sometimes it's not going to be a great outcome, but most of the time, it's going to be a tremendous outcome. You might it might affect your life. It might affect someone else's life. You know, when I look back at mine and I invite the audience to reflect on their own lives, those small things, maybe that thing that that teacher said to you one day stuck in your mind. Consider that. You know, you were if you're in school for twelve years or more, and you had dozens of teachers, and you were there for thousands of hours, and yet you, one thing stands out to you. Yeah. And it changed your life. And we all know about that. But now the odd now the the stakes are higher than they've ever been before. You know, something that a teacher might say to a student affects that child's life and there's a, a ripple effect on that. But now it's not exaggeration to say we're fighting for our nation. We're fighting for your children, their children. How are you going to feel 25 years from now when you're in a 15-minute gulag, I mean a 15-minute city, <laughs> and it ain't your day today, and you can't get gasoline, and you can't go to the grocery <coughs> store, you can't go visit your cousin. You know, maybe, maybe you said the wrong thing and you just lost your job. Oh, wait a minute, Ken, that couldn't happen in Canada. Really? Didn't we lock down people's bank accounts? Didn't we arrest people? Didn't we just arrest somebody in, where was it, in Ottawa yesterday? Because they wanted to interview Christina David Freeland. David Menzies. Yeah, and, and she's supposed to be a public official, so the RCMP, and from what I seem to see, pushed him out of the way and then charged him with assault. You have the... Oh, but, he, but he didn't get charged, right? They let him go oh. on that, and then we're supposed, you know, they didn't charge him. They just oh, detained him, That's right? in, That's interesting. So they, were, they accomplished their what they wanted to do, and that is scare the heck out of Canadians make an example, and then not do enough where you could sue, perhaps, or Correct. take action. Now, that, that, isn't that interesting, folks? So where are you going to say, what are you going to say 20 years from now when your grandchild is sitting on your knee and, Grandpa, Grandma, where were you? Were you watching football that night? Was it too cold to come? Did you want to go out to the new restaurant that just opened? Did you vote? I, I don't know how I would. I don't know how I would live with myself. You know, my family has a long history of service to this country. You know, my 
grandfather and my great grandfather were both in World War One. My great grandfather was in his fifties already. And in World War One, he lied about his age. When he was wounded, they found out and they sent him home. Now my grandfather, my gra- that was my great grandfather. My grandfather was another story. He was not a nice man, but he was wounded three times in World War One. My father was ineligible to go to World War Two. And it haunted him all his life. And he, in 1950, finally married my mother. He was 30 years old at the time. And for those of you who don't know what time what life was like in those days, not getting married till you were 30 was incredible. You know, normally you were married when you were 19 or 20 and you already had three kids. Why didn't he get married? He didn't get married because all of his friends were off to war. And whether you believe in that war or not, he, you know, he was the eligible bachelor in the town he was in, but he refused while his buddies were overseas. So I asked myself, if I didn't do this and whether I'm making a difference or not, when you lose the rest of your freedoms, and trust me, if you don't do something, you are, how can you live with yourself? What are you going to tell your grandchildren? And, and folks, it's happened so, in such small little pieces. And every time the government says to you, oh, Ken, it's for your safety. <laughs> Do you remember a day when you could drive down the highway and if you were doing something stupid, you know, the, you're, you had a broken headlight or taillight or you were weaving on the road, the police could pull you over because there was intent or there was, there was uh, what's the word, um, uh, uh, probable cause, yeah, maybe prob- some. Yeah. Now they have roadblocks on the highway, and they pull everybody over. You weren't doing anything. Where in the heck do they get the right to care- pull over free citizens and subject them to that? And you know what? We all sat down and let that happen. And uh, so, so is it a long leap when they say, oh, you're going to put this piece of cloth on your face? Yeah. We know it's unhealthy. We know it doesn't do anything, Sunday, but oh, we do, we'll do it. Sunday afternoon drive, this is about six months ago, oh, by towards Helmond. I was driving out to my parents' farm. His wife and I were going to pick kids up. Cop pulled us over. And I was like, was I speeding? No. It's just a random uh, alcohol check. Like, But I haven't done anything, right? He's like, no, I have the ability to pull you over. So I blew. I wasn't drinking. It was not like I, but I, but but think about it. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was just literally driving down the road. You, yeah, without probable cause. You, so you really think that's for your safety, folks? You don't want to. I. <laughs> they may sell it as that. Oh yeah, but they always do. You know, they wear the mask. It's for it's safe and effective. Well, if you read the National Citizens Inquiry report, there's a section on that. Read that, folks, and I'll, it'll tell you exactly. And we show you the documents. It wasn't safe and effective. They knew it. They didn't require it to be safe and effective. They relaxed those requirements in the food and drug regulation specifically for the COVID-19 stuff. So they never proved safety and effectiveness, and yet they sold it to you that way. It's for your safety. How about another one? The government of Canada is attacking um, um, natural food products now, you know, vitamins and those kinds of things. Yeah, Sean Buckley's been on talking about it. Yeah, Sean Buckley, great guy. know him very well. Worked with him at the NCI, him and his wife, uh, Teresa. Canadian patriots, by the way. <coughs> so the excuse is for your safety. You know, it, they, they, there, there's been a, a couple of things that we allege has happened. 
Do you think one of the products in Canada that's caused the most death and disease? Soft drinks. Cancer-causing, diabetes-causing, obesity-causing. Why aren't we banning soft drinks, folks? Now, you might not say, Ken, well, I like my... Oh, I like my pop or I like my, my pop. Red Bull or whatever. And that's true. You know what? Every once in a while, I do too. I shouldn't, but I do. But how come they're... If it's for my safety, why are they invi- why are they banning vitamin C or whatever they're doing at the store? But pop is fine. If they were really looking after your safety... How about this, folks? Last time I checked in the criminal code, murder was illegal, Right. <laughs> Murder's illegal in the criminal code. You don't code. say. Yeah. So why do we need more, more regulations about guns when it's already illegal to murder? Do you think it might have something to do about controlling those, those, those tools, those guns, rather than about your safety? There's already the laws on the books. It's illegal already. You think putting another law on the books is going to stop criminals? And by the way, Canadians should know the statistics. You know how, and, and on our website, the true, uh, the, <laughs> the true fact, c19.com, where you can download the 89-page report, there's a little infographic there, and it was done a year or so ago. And we reported how many murders with firearms there were in Canada that year. And, and I'm going by memory, folks. It was like 278, something like that. And half of those were gangland-type murders, like like gang-related, drug-related, blah, blah, blah. So that leaves about 130 or so murders out of 40 million people with firearms. And by the way, they included a nail gun in that statistic, believe it or not. Who killed somebody with a nail gun? I don't know. But my point is this. At the same time, Health Canada was reporting 300-and-something deaths by vaccine. So you really had 120 or so, 130 murders with firearms on citizens, not taking away the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Tony Sopranos, yeah. you know. And yet you had double that deaths in vaccine injuries. And, and by the way, it was actually worse than that because at the time not everybody had received the vaccine and some of them were doubled up vaccines. So the 38 million population kind of weren't subjected to that risk. So the, the, when you compare 120 or so firearm deaths to 300 and something vaccine deaths, it's even more than that. And of course, Health Canada weren't reporting them all, as we know, because we know from the National Citizens Inquiry, when doctors reported adverse effects from the vaccines, they, a lot, there were many of them lost their licenses and they were silenced. So folks, if those kind of laws are for your safety, why haven't we got laws against the vaccines? Why haven't we got laws against soda pop? Do, when somebody gets into an accident with their car, do you ban cars? Do you take them away from all the other law-abiding citizens? You know, I did an experiment. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> I did an experiment the other day. It is kind of funny. Tongue-in-cheek. You know, I have a very good friend who's a retired police officer, and he came over for a visit, and I said to him, let's do an experiment here. And I went and got a rifle, and I put it on the kitchen table. And I said, "So let's go into the let's go into the parlor here." And we could, by the way, RCMP, we could see the rifle there, and it was, we, it was so it was under my control. But the experiment was: is we're going to have our visit for three or four hours, and we're going to see if that gun got up and killed somebody. You know what? 
It didn't. Wasn't that cool? But yet we're still banning these things. We're, and, and, you know, Manitoba is not, not a lot different than Alberta or Saskatchewan. You know, I live in the country. I live on an acreage. I need for pest control and for protection and whatnot, but they want to take that away because someone did something somewhere. I don't think so, folks. So it's always for your safety and your security. But you really need to ask yourself, is it? When there's these glaring, incredibly glaring um, uh, contradictions to it all, you really need to start thinking about it. Don't listen to what I say. Just think about it. Sit down. How is it that when the pandemic was on, you were sitting in a restaurant and you didn't have to have a mask on as you were eating and you're know, talking and it's spraying all well, over? Just go, just go back to the swimming pool. Yeah. Being here on the border. Yeah. The, the border is an interesting place because you get to see how two different provinces are reacting to the same problem. Well, you know, you had Denny Rancourt on and Denny, one of the things he did in his study was he determined that the, 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 the death rate was based on political boundaries? <laughs> what, did, what, what did he say? The va- no, the 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 virus had a passport. Yeah, <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, he would find countries in Europe side by side, and one had a whole lot of stuff, other one didn't. The only difference was is what the politicians is had what done. they did. Yeah. yeah, is what they did. Man, I I would love to keep going, but uh, <laughs> we have things to do here we today, do. and I've really appreciated you coming in and doing this. Uh, coming all the way. It's been great to finally meet you in person, do it here in the studio. I, nothing, nobody, like you just, I, I don't need any convincing, but it, like there's nothing that can replace in person talking yeah. like this. It's just, it's very healthy, right? Yeah. See body language, everything instead of just a head, um, you know, for the the listener, minus my, you know, my, my, I tell you what, the old cameras are giving me a fit today. That one's died twice. I had to replace a battery halfway through, <laughs> but I mean, it's died again. So, um, people are probably, if they're watching are staring at a picture of me right now because there's, there's no video, but regardless, uh, other than that, like the, the sound quality, everything, just the, the, the conversation flow. I just, I, it's been really enjoyable to have you come here. I look forward to hearing you talk tonight and I appreciate you coming and doing this in studio because this has been, I mean, just thoroughly enjoyable and uh, I look forward to the next time we talk because I know it will happen um, and hopefully it's it's you know uh, hopefully it's at a new studio you know I was I was showing you brief uh, pictures of it of what we're trying to do and and I look forward to when that's complete so that you can come and enjoy the the next one and and uh, either way I, I appreciate what you're doing for the country and for your province and coming here and helping me out and, and hopefully we have a good night tonight and, uh, and and inspire some people and, and give them some confidence to go out and get involved in their respective community as big as small as that is. And uh, either way, thank you so much for coming down, Ken, and doing this. Oh, I appreciate the invitation. I always enjoy talking with you and uh, get an opportunity to talk to uh, Canadians again. Um, you can't beat that. Thank you very much.